0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's get our bearings here. The first half of the church year, which we just finished, is dedicated to the major events in the life of Christ. His incarnation, his baptism, and his ministry, his passion, and his death, his resurrection and ascension, and even caps off with the sending of the Holy Spirit. Now, the second half of the church year, which we've just entered, is the longest season that we've got. We've just now entered it. It's going to take us all the way through summer right up into Advent. It's called by some the green season, hence the green, or the time of the church. And it's green because all of these Sundays after Pentecost are dedicated to walking slowly through Christ's teachings and growing in our discipleship as we bear the fruits of repentance. It's a season of growth. So whenever you see green, you should think growth. So while this season might not be as festive or as compelling as something like Advent or Lent or the Christmas season, I always breathe a sigh of relief whenever this comes because we actually, we get to slow down a little bit. And just focus on the work of Christ in and among his people. And I promise you that by the time this season is done, you'll be ready to celebrate Advent with a great deal of anticipation and expectation. So we begin this mini-series today of sorts on this topic of discipleship. Discipleship. Because the gospel lessons for the next four weeks are going to focus on that topic. In today's passage highlights the call of St. Matthew. St. Matthew, it's important that we're actually introduced to him uh, this year because all the way through the end of the year, we're going to be hearing from his gospel. So it makes sense that we would be introduced to the man himself. He was a Jew, perhaps from the tribe of Levi, working as a tax collector for the Roman government. He was actually raising funds for the oppression of his own people. So he would have been considered a traitor to the cause of Israel. He would have been considered an outcast, scum of the earth. And not only were tax collectors thought of that way because uh, of their disloyalty to God's people, but they also had this well-earned reputation of overcharging people and skimming off the top. So they would have been pretty wealthy. This wealthy class that had gotten there on the backs of others, at the expense of others. This was St. Matthew. And it's into, well, before he was a saint. This is Matthew. And it's into that world that Jesus Christ steps in and he makes his claim on Matthew's life. So there are basically two movements to this gospel passage today that I'd like to highlight because they give us a better understanding of our lives as disciples, Disciples of Christ, those who follow him, those who are called by Christ. The first is that the call of Christ makes you a disciple. The call of Christ makes you a disciple. And the second is that the call of Christ puts you with his disciples. So we begin by taking up the first part. And for that, we're going to listen to verse 9 of our reading today. It says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus stepped into Matthew's world of treachery, bribery, usury, greed all the shady dealings that Matthew had going on, Jesus stepped into that world. This is not a situation, brothers and sisters, where Matthew came to some conclusion on his own that his life was not completely what he had envisioned and therefore he needed to make some kind of personal change. This is not that. This is not Matthew's own self-improvement project. This is Jesus, the Son of God, coming to Matthew while he's sitting there in his tax booth, engaged in the shadiest of dealings and using his word to completely upend everything that Matthew had going on. Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew does. Now, in his account that we hear from today, did Matthew waste any time with any poetic language, any flowery language about what happened? No, did he wax poetic about this most important moment in his life and give you a whole long soliloquy about the heavens that opened up and everything that happened whenever Matthew, followed Jesus? No. Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew didn't argue. Now, whenever Luke describes this same event in slightly more detail in his gospel, he mentions that Matthew He's actually called Levi in Luke's gospel. Matthew left everything and rose and followed Jesus. It's interesting. Matthew actually omits that detail, probably because he doesn't want to talk too much about that experience. But then Luke says, now he left everything and he followed Jesus. Keep that detail in your back pocket. Now for Matthew, this is a very unique call. It's unique. It is a call to conversion to Christ and it's a call into the office of what would later become known as apostle. So we have to understand that, all right? There's not a one-to-one correlation of Matthew's call and your call, so we're going to deal with some of the differences there. But you have not been called into the office of apostle. I hope that you know that. You have been called by Christ as his disciple. So what we can learn from this passage is that this passage sketches out the outline of what that looks like, all right? Because the call of Christ makes you his disciple. And that was my first point. The call of Christ makes you his disciple. It's not your good works. It's not your own human efforts. It's not your decision. The call of Christ makes you his disciple. Now, during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, the call came immediately through Christ's own lips. What do I mean by that? It means that Jesus was there in the flesh, in person, and the call came immediately. He called Matthew. He said to Matthew, follow me. That's how it happened. But now, during the time of the church, the call comes immediately. Immediately. Immediately, through the word of the gospel. Christ has called you to himself. He didn't, kind of, he didn't come and appear before you in his, you know, in his flesh and all that. Uh, you weren't there sitting in the tax booth. But his call came to you nonetheless. His immediate call. Whenever you were baptized, the Holy Spirit called you by the word of the gospel in those waters. You're here sitting right now within earshot. And that means that Jesus is speaking to you right now, immediately through his word. His call comes to us through these means, immediately. I highlight this um, for several good reasons, but there was this guy a few months ago who I was talking to who told me that he converted to Christ through nature. Um, it was a bizarre conversation, to say the least. I mean, it, he was convinced that, that God had revealed himself in a saving way through nature. Now, here's, here's why that's impossible. You can know a lot about God through looking at nature, right? You can know about his creative power. You can know about his divine attributes, his provision and care. You can even know something about God's wrath. Whenever you look at awful, disastrous weather events and things like that. You can know about God's wrath, all this Romans 1 uh, type of stuff, but here's what you cannot know from looking at nature. You cannot know about God's mercy. You cannot know about his forgiveness in the gospel. You can't look at a tree and discern from that that God loves you and wants to forgive you. No, he does that through the gospel. That's what saves that's what brings eternal life. He calls us by the gospel. And the call doesn't wait until you've gotten everything straightened out in your life. There was no time for Matthew to do that. He didn't tell Jesus, oh, well, hang on, i got to stamp a few of these papers here and i got to file them with my superior and all that. He just went. There was no time for Matthew to clean himself up. The call comes to you, naming you as one of Jesus' chosen, bringing you into the kingdom of Christ and out of the kingdom of darkness. The Holy Spirit calls you by the gospel and leads you to repentance and faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Remember Luke's detail? Remember how he said that Matthew left everything and followed Jesus? That's because discipleship always, always requires that we abandon those things that keep us from following Jesus. Discipleship always requires that we abandon those things that keep us from following Jesus. What thing in your life is poisoning your discipleship? What thing in your life is hindering you from following Jesus faithfully? What sin issue is it? Here's my suggestion, not just a suggestion. Here's God's command. Kill it. Put it to death. (laughs) This is what discipleship is about. Kill it lest it be killing you. We've got a very aggressive way of dealing with that in in our church that no one wants to talk about for some reason, but I'll talk about it. It's called private confession and absolution. It's when you actually sit with your pastor and name these types of sins so that the word of the gospel can be spoken directly at them as Christ has promised to take them away and give you the assurance of his grace and his pardon. So consider taking me up on that. It's always there and it's a gift. It's a powerful weapon against your sins. But for others, you know, there are these uh, there are these seemingly less serious sins, right? Um, these less serious sins that hinder our discipleship. You know, it might not be one of those biggies or whatever that, that need confession and so forth, but it might be something considered less serious. But you know what? You know what Christ says about that thing as well? He calls it sin too. He calls it sin. So is it, is it your obsession with convenience? Is it your career? Is it your family? You know, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, Christ was pretty hard on the guy that he called to follow him and the guy hesitated. And uh, what did he want to do first? He wanted to bury his father. Pretty reasonable. What did Jesus say to him? Let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Too often, I think we, we soft-pedal the call of Christ. We soft-pedal the obligation of discipleship. And we make it something that, you know, we turn into whenever it's, it's convenient for us. That's not the way that Jesus sees it. So if you are committed to something over and above that call that Jesus has on your life, Jesus is telling you today that it's not worth it. That thing is not your priority. His call is. And that brings us to the second movement in our gospel lesson today. Now, Matthew is no longer just sitting at the tax booth by himself, is he? Now, he's plopped right in the middle Of a bunch of sinners, a bunch of fellow sinners. That's because the call of Christ not just makes you his disciple, but the call of Christ puts you with his disciples. So here are the rest of our verses. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners come and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now again, Matthew's call here is it's unique in that he hears it directly from the mouth of Jesus, right? And he's actually able to have Jesus over at his house for a meal and he's actually able to host a party. But as I said before, this movement shows us the shape of our discipleship. We are called into discipleship by Christ, but then that call leads to community and it leads to fellowship with other disciples. You see, Matthew was called out of his isolation, out of his alienation that sin brings, and he was brought into the family of God. He was brought into table fellowship with Jesus. And so what we have here in this passage gathered around that table as, as Matthew kind of scanned the room and he's writing this, you know, he wrote this later, but he, he looked around the table and what did he see? Did he see a bunch of well put together people? Did he see a bunch of, you know, upper crust and so forth? No, he looked around the room and he saw, he saw a bunch of poor, miserable sinners like him, but they were there and they were gathered around Jesus. Tick the Pharisees off, boy, get it. But what we have at that table is the beginnings of the new humanity. The holy Christian church, the new Israel. They were there at the invitation of Jesus himself. Pharisees didn't like it, right? They they questioned the disciples. They said, why does your master eat with such people? To which Jesus told them. He looked at him and he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know what? You can't even be a Christian if you want nothing to do with what Jesus brings to the table. You can't be a Christian if you don't want what Jesus brings to the table. Here's here's how I see this play out in our world today because so much of the therapeutic language that exists within our culture actually makes its way into how we understand the scriptures. It makes its way into our churches as well. And it completely undermines what Jesus intends for our discipleship. Here's what I mean. You're perfect the way you are. Follow your heart. Those types of vague platitudes are poison. I'm here to tell you the truth. You're not fine or perfect the way you are. And if that's the good news that you're settling for, that's a weak sauce substitute for the gospel. That's not good news. The truth is, is that we are unbelievably sick with sin. Our words, thoughts, and deeds are soiled with it every single day. That was one of the first things that we said when we came into this place, right? But Christ, Christ has come to call us out of that. To call us out of our sins and make us his disciples. He has come so that our sins would be taken away from us by his blood. And since you've been made a disciple, it means that you've been made a subject of Christ. And if you've been made a subject of Christ, it means that you've been been made a subject of his healing, redeeming work. You're in the hospital right now, baby. You're on the operating table and Jesus is doing his stuff on you. He's calling you to repentance, to put to death those things in your life that are keeping you from following him. He's given you faith as he comes to you with the gospel and reminds you and assures you of his forgiveness and his promises to you, which is sealed by his blood. And you look around and you realize, this morning, you realize that you're not the only patient. He's given you this Fellowship. He's given you this congregation gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician, as he performs his healing work on all of us through the gospel and through the sacraments. So, the point here is that real discipleship always is in the context of the community of Christ. Real discipleship is always in the context of the community of Christ. That is the local church. You see this play out in the early days of the church, right? In the book of Acts, they were together all the time. They were sharing what they had. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Normal Christian stuff. So real discipleship, true discipleship with Christ and his call on your life is always bound up with the fellowship of fellow sinners who also realize that they have no righteousness of their own either. Fellow sinners who are fellow partakers of Christ's life and righteousness. The people that you see here now. Look through the eyes of Matthew this morning as he looked around the table. You know, whenever you look at our fellowship, our congregation, you don't see a bunch of perfect people. uh, Some days are better than others. You see a bunch of sinners who are saved by grace through faith. Sinners who cling to the promise of Christ. So like that guy that I mentioned before that told me that he was saved through nature, um, I'm going to rebuke another idea before we finish here. I'm going to rebuke this idea. And the reason that I come down hard on this idea is because I think that this idea is far more sinister and I think that it's far more of a threat to, uh, to our churches, and I think it's everywhere. It's a plague on American Christianity, and it's this. It's this notion that the Christian life can be lived apart from the life of the Christian church. And when I use the term Christian church here, I'm not just talking about an idea. I'm talking very concretely. An actual congregation with a real flesh and blood pastor We're actually going to get one of those this Saturday. Uh, A real congregation with a real flesh and blood pastor who brings the healing ministry of Jesus to you with real membership, with real preaching and sacraments, with worship and discipline, all those things that make a church. This church community is essential to your life in Christ because it's in the Christian church where the Holy Spirit daily and richly forgives your sins and the sins of all believers. And and the Holy Spirit keeps you in the true faith. Christ's call on your life means that you belong with his people, with fellow sinners who are subject to Jesus's healing power. And the reason I stress this is because I know people that think this way, right? Several people that I care about think this way that they can live the Christian life apart from the ministry of the church, that they, need, they, they don't need anything to do with God's church, but they can go on and believe in Jesus. Here's the problem with that. You think you can follow Jesus apart from the community of his local church, which Jesus? The Jesus that tells you that you don't need a pastor? The Jesus that tells you you don't need a congregation? You don't need to follow him in the context of community, that Jesus? No, we are called to something much greater. We are called to gather around that table with a bunch of people who don't have it put together, but nonetheless, a bunch of people with whom we share fellowship. That's what today is. In a moment, we're going to experience that in a very tangible way, as we gather around Christ to eat His body and drink His blood. And in that meal we will receive exactly what He promises: righteousness, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life. everything that He has won for us by His suffering and death. And so for those who are communing with us today, because you share our confession, come today with the understanding that you are desperately sick and that you recognize the healing medicine of the gospel that is given to you today. Because he gives us the gifts that we need for life in him so that by his grace, we may now and always continue as his disciples. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit,